Blog Talk Radio. sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called Good News, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It expounds on the central message of Christianity, that Jesus Christ lived and died to save sinners. Request your free book by writing to goodnews at gty.org. That's goodnews at gty.org. And this offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2020. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you, Bible teacher John MacArthur. We want to take a look at the subject of fellowship, something we are missing 
in a dire way these days. The very essence of life in the church is relational, and relational not in a superficial way, but in a very intense and deep and profound way. The model for that, of course, is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that eternal relationship of love. And we, being made in God's image, are made for relationship. And the purest and best and highest and noblest of those relationship categories exists in the life of those who belong to God, who share His life. The New Testament tells us that the Son of God came and pitched His tent among us. He took on humanity. And He lived with us. And then He sent His Holy Spirit to live not with us, but in us. We are all one in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul expresses essentially the same reality that I read earlier from 1 Corinthians 12. It says in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. It is His life that is in us and ties us together in spiritual life and love. This is a theme that we run into a lot in the New Testament. Galatians 3, again, we're all one in Christ. Philippians chapter 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In fact, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, the same kind of selflessness that He exhibited in His condescension and His willingness to go to the cross for us. Christianity is relational in the most intense and the most spiritual and the most eternal way. So it should be in the life of the church. In the gray dawn of April 1945, in the Nazi camp at Flossenburg, there was a pastor who became famous, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was executed by special order of Heinrich Himmler, who was Hitler's executioner. Bonhoeffer had been arrested two years before and basically transferred from prison to prison, concentration camp to concentration camp, from Tegel to Berlin to Buchenwald to Schoenberg to Flossenburg. 
And by then, with all those transfers, he had lost all contact with anyone that he ever knew. The outside world was completely severed from him, and he lost the most precious thing that he possessed. What he lost was fellowship. Fellowship. For behold, he thought, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And that from his reading of Psalm 133. That was a very dear subject to him, the subject of brothers dwelling together in unity, and he had lost it, as it turned out, never to be restored to him in this world. That was such a precious reality to him that based on that verse in Psalm 133.1, he wrote a book, and the book is titled Life Together. He wrote of the richness of fellowship. Let me quote you what he wrote in part. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. He wrote, Let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christians. He was right. We at Grace Community Church can say an amen to that. We experience that. And that is exactly how the New Testament defines the church. As Christ's church, we are depicted as one wife with one husband, one set of branches connected to one vine, one flock with one shepherd, one kingdom with one king, one family with one father, one building with one foundation, and then most uniquely, one body with one head. And that is our unique identity. We are defined in the chapter that I read earlier as a body in a living way, spiritually connected together, mutually ministering to each other. This is, first of all, spiritual. It is a living organism connected by common eternal life granted by God. It is essential to who we are. When our Lord prayed in John 17 that they may be one, He wasn't talking about our ability to get along with each other. He was praying to the Father that all who would come to Him would be one spiritually. And that prayer is answered in the church as the body of Christ. We are spiritually connected and designed for shared life, shared love, shared purpose, shared ministry, shared truth, shared power. This is fellowship. This is the church. 
The verb fellowship, koinoneo, is used eight times in the New Testament. Seven of those are translated share in the New American Standard. One of them participates. It really describes a partnership. The noun form, koinonia, is used about 30 times and carries the same idea. Sometimes it is translated sharing, contribution, partnership, participation. But it is the idea of a mutual dependency, partaking, contributing, sharing, linking together as partners with a common life and a common cause. We are not just one kingdom, not just one family, but one body. The most intense way to describe the dependency of the fellowship of the church. And in all honesty, I have to ask the question, is that really the contemporary evangelical view of the church? Back in the 1980s when Neil Postman, a Jewish humanist, wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, he spoke of the epic, tragic loss of serious thinking. And he was talking about how entertainment in specific had crippled the minds of people, and primarily in those days through the power of television. But he said this, at least television is a group experience. And screens have been getting bigger to accommodate more people. Well, Neil Postman could hardly have seen that screens were not only getting bigger, they were also getting smaller, paradoxically. The seductive entertainment would go from public screens to the most private screens, the small as an iPhone or even Google Glasses. Your world gets so small that every person becomes a creator of his own private world, a secret world of preferences, temptations, with a force and ubiquity unparalleled in human history. The iPhone is the most selfish device ever invented. Once you needed a phone for only one purpose, to talk to someone else. Now your phone is used rarely to talk to someone else and mostly to create your own private world. Technology has put in the hand and very soon on the nose and before the eyes of all of us, the most constant, incessant, accessible, visual, private world of self-centered indulgence and temptation and entertainment ever imagined. You choose whatever you want. You choose your relationships. You choose who gets to get into your world and who doesn't. You become your own God. You are the creator of your own private universe. And outside your own cyberspace is the outer darkness of all that you reject. Carl Truman said, 
The language of friendship is hijacked and cheapened by the Internet social networks. He said the language of Facebook both reflects and encourages childishness. Childishness has become something of a textually transmitted disease. End quote. Why would he say that? Because if there is anything that defines childishness, it is selfishness. It is selfishness. Unless you think there is not childishness in the church, ask yourself if we have not experienced the juvenilization of the church. Church has become the satisfier of everyone's selfishness. Carl Truman said, relationships play out in the disembodied world of the web. High school students spend nine hours a day in their own world. Truman says, such are human amoebas subsisting in a bizarre non-world that involves no risk to themselves, no giving of themselves to others, no true vulnerability, no commitment, no sacrifice, no real meaning, no value. Real fellowship cannot exist in the world of self-created avatars. It requires real persons created by God. Christianity is not a private experience. The church is not a private experience. But the rapid trend is heading to the norm of people creating their own virtual world of virtual self-preferences, making it whatever they want it to be, shutting out everyone else. They can upload the new creation into the Eden of the Internet. The perfect, indomitable you, self-actualized like some technologized form of science of mind, a digitized self-projection of idyllic personal design. The culture, as a result, is becoming more isolated, more consumeristic, more narcissistic, more self-absorbed, more individualistic, more morally corrupted and morally relative, and certainly more entitled. You expect to get what you want because you can create that. And the church? Oh, well we're seen as not necessary. We're finding out now that places that sell marijuana, they're necessary. Liquor stores, they're necessary. Churches aren't necessary because everyone can create his own religion. The evangelical church has for decades been trying to give the culture what it wants. And what does it want? It wants privacy. It wants convenience. It wants low commitment. It wants anonymity. It wants unaccountability. And it wants self-actualization. So church life is falling victim to the seductive self-design. And you hear people say, it's hard to find a church I like. Really. 
because we can't all be the first church of your iTunes where you have all your music and all your messages and all your friends. At a real church, you might have to face an enemy or someone who's outside your preferred world. You might even hear a message from a preacher who doesn't say what you believe, doesn't seem to care. And worst of all, you might have to listen to an old hymn in 4-4 time led by a senior citizen. And maybe that's just too much for your self-created world. If you want that, well, this particular era in our history, this distancing might be ideal for you. You don't need anyone else anyway. This doesn't seem like any kind of dire situation. You can still piece together your world exactly the way you want it. You can have all your own information, experience, relationships designed your way. But what have you lost? You've lost the dominating power of the Word of God. You create your own world. You inevitably rule out truth. You rule out accuracy. You rule out reality. You rule out credibility. You rule out rationality. You even rule out relationships at their most dynamic and powerful level. Online church is popular. For some people, this is no change. And going into a dark building and looking at a flat screen preacher is no different than staying at home and looking at a flat screen preacher. I read where one leader said, young millennials are leaving church and going toward Jesus. Really? Leaving church and going toward Jesus. That's frightening because they're going toward the Jesus they create. They're leaving church because they don't want to come under the authority of the Word of God. Church is unnecessary. You can join an e-group. You can have a Facebook group. You can hear whatever you choose and not listen to whatever you don't like. Plant your own church with one member, exclusive and isolated. It was a few years ago now when the emergent church made its move, and we were essentially told that the church had to conform to this very personalized approach to life. And the leaders of the church agreed with that, and they said everybody needs to be able to sort of paste their own religion together. One leader said, I don't worship God by singing. Another wrote a blog on why I don't go to church very often. Another suggested that you could have your own personal communion 
with hot chocolate and cookies and said it's a fantastic bonding. Create your own sacraments, he said. There are a lot of things that concern me. One of them that's near the top of the list is that the church has fallen to a weak ecclesiology, an unbiblical definition of itself. And this will speed the decline even in the era of the fast-expanding impact of sound doctrine. Churches are more concerned with what is the plan for media? What is the plan for technology? Then what is the plan for proclaiming the truth? And being separated like this works fine for a lot of people, but not for the true church. Because the true church is necessary. We need each other. We don't function without each other. The church basically grows up to Christ's likeness by the mutual ministry of spiritual gifts. If you keep us separated, you short-circuit our life, our growth, and our testimony. So I thought maybe this Sunday and next, I would want to have you open your heart and mind to understanding how vital our fellowship is, how necessary the church is, how critical it is for us to be together. And I want to just break up what the New Testament says into some categories to help you with a clear understanding of the fellowship of the church. Number one, what is its basis? What is its basis? What is the basis for our fellowship? What is the common ground that ties us together? It's not emotional. It's not denominational. It's not societal. It's not cultural. It's not racial. It's not ecumenical. It's not even theological. It's not human. It's not experiential. It is spiritual and it is divine. And I would just draw your attention to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, where we read this, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is the fellowship of those who are connected to the Father and the Son. And that means that salvation is the basis of our fellowship. The goal of the gospel was not just deliverance from eternal hell. It was that, but not just that. But fellowship with God, Father, Son, and we would add Holy Spirit. 
That's what Jesus prayed for in John 17, make them one with us. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Fellowship is the linking together of those who commonly possess the life of God granted through faith in Christ. We are in the fellowship by salvation, and we're in it forever. Our fellowship is with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and every other believer. This is our fellowship. In that sense, it is an unending and eternal fellowship, because we will spend eternity with the Father with the Son, and with every other believer. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14, 23. He said, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. So we're not talking about something subjective here. We're talking about something objective salvation, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being redeemed puts us in the fellowship. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another for indeed you do practice it. If there's anything that marks the fellowship, it is common love. We are all bound up in the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love the triune God in return, and we love all those who love Him. Every genuinely converted person, every saved person, every regenerate person, every justified person is entitled and expected to enjoy the full fellowship of the redeemed. Whatever their background, whatever their condition, whatever their economics, whatever their ability, whatever their status, because the basis of the fellowship is salvation. And John makes this very clear while we're looking at 1 John. John always in this short letter is identifying the marks of true Christians. And he says in verses 5 through 7, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, is cleansing us from all sin. John says you're either in the light or in the darkness. That is to say, you're either saved or lost. 
You're either in the fellowship or out. It's not what you say. It's what you do. It's how you live. It's how you walk. Therein the truth is revealed. And if you are truly in the fellowship, then you will walk, verse 7 says, in the light, the light of truth and virtue. And you will enjoy the fellowship with others who are also in the light, and you are continually being cleansed of your sins. Verse 9 adds, if we are confessing our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One other characteristic of people in the light is they are confessors. They're always in the fellowship, they're always in the light, and they're always confessing their sins, and they're always being cleansed. A Christian can never be out of the fellowship. That's impossible. It's not that we don't sin. That would be self-deceiving, verse 8 says. And that would be against the Word of God, verse 10 says. It's not that we don't sin, but the bent and direction of our life is toward truth and holiness. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse said, a man walking along the deck of a ship might fall. His fall might hurt him, but it wouldn't be the same as if he fell off the ship. The believer, when he sins, falls on the deck, but he's never lost overboard. Christ has seen to it, said Barnhouse, that no wave not death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height or depth shall ever sweep us off the deck. The fellowship is forever. Like David, we might have to pray, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. But we would never have to pray, Restore the salvation. Because it's not lost. can't be lost. We are always in the fellowship. All true Christians are one by virtue of new birth. We are one with the Lord who dwells in all of us, and then we are also one with each other. We come to each other in Christ. We come to each other as brothers and sisters in the family and as more intimately members of the very body of Christ. Bonhoeffer understood this when he wrote, I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. The other person has become a brother to me through what Jesus Christ did for him. The fact that we are brothers only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance. Not what a man is in himself, he said as a Christian. His spirituality or his piety constitutes the basis of our fellowship. What determines our fellowship is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our fellowship with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. And he closed by saying it remains so for all the future and to all eternity. Christian fellowship is not an ideal that we hope to realize, that we should realize. Rather, 
It is a reality created by God in which we participate. We want to do everything we can to show that spiritual reality in the way we live our lives. But the basis of our fellowship is we're in Christ. That is very foundational and very clearly says this, that a church is made up of those who are in Christ. That's a church. That's a church. When you come together as a church, the assumption is that you're in Christ. That's what a church is. Church has never been designed for non-believers. We're glad when they come, see the testimony, hear the message. But the church is a fellowship that is the body of Christ of those who share His life. So that's the basis of the church. What is the nature of the church? In that I'm saying, how does it function? How are we to live out this common spiritual life, this togetherness? I think a good text for that is back in the book of Acts where we get the first glimpse of the church and how it functioned. Acts chapter 2 takes us to the day of Pentecost when the church was born. And this is what we read about the church, that first church, that first day, the very day the Holy Spirit came and created the church, the body of Christ. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says, "...they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer." Now, who were these people that first day? Well, we know who they were. Peter said in verse 38, "...repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." So there were those who repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who had risen from the dead received forgiveness, and were granted the Holy Spirit. That's who they were. Verse 41 further describes them as those who received His Word and were baptized, confessing publicly their faith in Christ. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So you have 3,000 people who repented, believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, were baptized in that name, received the forgiveness of sins, and were granted the Holy Spirit. And verse 42 then says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This was a rare moment in the life of the church because all the professors were possessors. There weren't any tares. There weren't any false believers on the day of Pentecost. There weren't any fake Christians. It was the purest expression of the church ever. Verse 44 says, what defined them 
all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They were not only sharing spiritual life in Christ, not only spiritual power, but they expressed their partnership in fellowship. And it came down to the fact that there was an overwhelming unselfishness. Anything they had, they held lightly. And when they saw somebody with a need, verse 45 says, they began selling their property and possessions, sharing with them all as anyone might have need. This is the early expression of spiritual fellowship in a tangible expression of love. Now, what is amazing about this is that these 3,000 people, up until this very day, were basically Jews that had been scattered around the world and had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They were from all around the Mediterranean area. They didn't know each other. They, for the most part, had never met each other outside their own group coming from their own locale. And yet, in one day, they repented, believed the gospel, were justified and transformed, and given the Holy Spirit to take up residence in their hearts, and immediately there was a love bond that caused them to sell their property to make sure that resources were passed out to people they had never met before, who had only been converted the same day, they literally would make themselves poor to make somebody else rich. This is the fellowship. This is the fellowship, and there's nothing in the world like it. Paul described it in Galatians 6.2 as bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Amazing. In one day, a few days after, a few weeks, you're, you're liquidating your personal assets to give to meet the needs of strangers. Verse 46 says, there was something else. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, there was a church, but there was no church building. So they gathered in the temple and also breaking bread from house to house, having meals. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. Immediately there was this spontaneous, unending worship. Fellowship, sacrifice, and worship. Aristides was a pagan who looked at early Christianity and wrote this, They abstained from all impurity in the hope of the recompense that is to come in another world, when there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and if they have not abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Such is the law of the Christians, and such is their conduct. This was the early church. 
As we saw in Philippians 2, they looked not on their own things, but the things of others. They considered others better than themselves. The Apostle Paul expresses that in Romans 1.11, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, I want to be with you because of the encouragement I receive in fellowship. Fellowship. Sharing love. Sharing resources. Sharing life. Unselfishness. That's the nature of Christian fellowship. The contemporary evangelical church is rife with what is called the prosperity gospel, which is a mad rush for everybody to get what they want. Nothing could be more devilish than that. Nothing could be introduced into the church that is more counter to everything the church is. If you're looking at the church for what you can get, you don't understand the church. And maybe, and likely, you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't make you self-centered. It makes you Christ-centered. And Christ is others-centered. And so would you be. One final reality to talk about this morning is the symbol of the church. What is the symbol? Is there something that we can look at that sort of demonstrates this rich, loving, sacrificial, joyful, glad fellowship? Yes. The symbol, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 16 and 17. You remember that we read in Acts 2.43 that they were, they were breaking bread. Well, here we find Paul talking about one of the things they did when they broke bread, which was to celebrate the cross of Christ. Remember Jesus in the upper room the night before His death instituted the Lord's Supper, the cup and the bread, the cup reminding them of His death, the bread reminding them of His body given for them. The church immediately in the book of Acts, every time it gathered, had the Lord's table, communion. Paul speaks to that communion in 1 Corinthians 10.16. And he says this, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the body of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? That's just so helpful. Paul is saying, this is the focal point of the body coming together to share the bread and the cup because we share the body and the blood. Verse 17, he adds, since there's one bread, we who are many are one body, we all partake of the one bread. Never is the church more demonstrably and visibly expressing its organic spiritual unity than when it gathers around the Lord's table. The beautiful ordinance of communion. It has been warped, twisted, perverted into bizarre forms in the Catholic Mass. 
It has been treated with indifference in the foolishness of hot chocolate and cookies. But nothing expresses the life of the church more visibly than the Lord's table. We all come to the foot of the cross. We all come as forgiven sinners. We all come as one with Christ and one with each other. Communion visualizes our fellowship. Christ is the head. We are all members of His body, all equally redeemed by Him. We all share His life. We are all sustained by that life. The Lord's table humbles us. The Lord's table levels us. The Lord's table calls us to self-examination. Paul says, don't come unless you examine yourself. The Lord's table vividly celebrates our reconciliation to God through Christ and His cross. We are united by the body and blood of Christ visibly at that table. I remember being in a church, large, large mega church. I hate that term, but it's often used. And at the end of the service, the pastor said, well, this is Communion Sunday, and we've put some crackers and juice by the door, so grab some on your way out and dismiss the service. The thoughtlessness of that bordered on blasphemy. We come seriously to the Lord's table. We come confessing our sins. We come as His body kneeling once again before His cross. And we face our sinfulness. That's so important. One writer said, He was absenting Himself from the worship and from the Lord's table. The pastor went to see Him. And after they had talked over the issues involved as they were sitting by an open fire, the pastor took the tongs from the fire and separated the flaming coals and spread them around the outer circumference of the open grate. In a few moments, the flames died down. And in another few minutes, the coals lost their brightness and grew ashen and dull. The pastor looked at his member and said, Do you understand? The man had grace and wisdom enough to say, Yes, pastor, I understand. And then the pastor took the tongs again, and taking the coals from the outer edge of the grate, he drew them all together, and you, of course, know what happened. They had not been together many moments before they began to glow once more, and then they came up in flames, and the fire was strong. And again, the pastor looked at his erring member and said, Do you understand? Do you? He said this, Let nothing divide you in your fellowship with your fellow believer because you will both be the losers. Not only will you both be the losers, but so will the integrity of the church. The flame will go down, and the fires of spiritual life will depart. He said, remember to gather at the Lord's table. It is there that we are drawn together, and the nearer we are to the Lord at His table, the nearer we are to one another. And that ignites the fellowship. It's a holy table. Some of you have asked why we don't have virtual communion, because there's no such thing. 
There's no such thing as virtual communion. The very Word defies that. Communion, fellowship, virtual fellowship. The church knows nothing of virtual fellowship. We can communicate the Word of God. We can lead you in worship. But we cannot express fellowship. And that is one of the aches in my own heart to see vast numbers of people who have an experience when there isn't some kind of quarantine, very much like they're having now, a flat screen experience that knows nothing of real fellowship. If there is anything in this entire crazy world that is necessary, it is the church of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself for one moment becoming comfortable in your pajamas on a Sunday morning, let this be a warning that you're being led astray. Your heart should be aching for the fellowship. And praying that it will come soon. This is the most necessary thing in all the world. It is necessary for Grace Community Church to be together. It is necessary for us to get out of our houses and get back to this empty place and fill it up again and reignite the fires. We've been separated like those coals. That protracted causes you to grow cold because you lack the power of mutual ministry of spiritual gifts and mutual accountability and mutual expectation and mutual ministry. If you find yourself being led to any measure of comfort, ask the Lord to forgive you and light your heart toward the day when we all come together again. The church is a fellowship. And it expresses itself not in any virtual way, but in the real life, joyful communion of the saints. So the basis of our fellowship is our salvation. The nature of our fellowship is shared life and the symbol of our fellowship is the Lord's table. And the first Sunday we come back, we'll be at that table. You can be certain of that. There is much more to say about fellowship, but you'll have to wait till next week. Father, thank You for giving us such a precious revelation of our identity in Christ, not only our relationship to You and You to us, but our relationship to every other believer. Thank You for Grace Community Church. Thank You for the love that exists in this place, for the shared life, for the sacrifice and service, for the ministry of spiritual gifts, for the expression of all the one another's. Thank You that this is a resting place and a haven 
for people of every tongue and tribe and nation that it looks like the world here because there are people from everywhere who are in this fellowship. There are no barriers of race, no barriers of nationality, no barriers of ethnicity, for we're all one in, in You. And Lord, we long to be together again. We trust that You will lead us in that expression. The world doesn't appreciate us. It's hostile toward us. It hates us because it lies in the lap of the evil one. And doing damage to the church is of no consequence to the world and to many in power. They would be happy if the church never met. But Lord, You need to open the door for us to come together. We are the most necessary expression of divine life in the world. We have to let the light shine so that the gospel becomes believable. In the meantime, Lord, give us continued opportunity to minister Your Word and find ways to minister to Your people and many others for the sake of the Gospel. We'll thank You in the name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University, where John serves as Chancellor, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Blessed assurance, Jesus is
The Peppered Moth Fraud. This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the Apologetics award-winning family magazine, Answers. When I was in high school, I learned about the peppered moth. Now, it's a supposed example of evolution and still used today in classrooms. There are light, dark, and in-between shades of the peppered moth. Now, the story goes that before the Industrial Revolution, birds saw more of the dark moths sitting on tree trucks. Then as pollution increased, they saw more of the light ones and the population shifted. Then as pollution declined, it shifted back again. But this isn't evolution, it's just natural selection. The variety of moth color was already there. And actually, it was later revealed this whole experiment was possibly fraudulent, yet it's still used to teach evolution today. Dive deeper into the issues of creation and evolution when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com.
did Darwin's ventures evolve? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers and Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter. If you ask for evidence of evolution, you'll probably hear about the finches on the Galapagos Islands. Darwin famously observed changes in their beak size and shape. Now, these small changes are often taught as examples of evolution. They're anything but. You see, what we actually observe in these finches is just natural selection with other mechanisms at work. Now, as the environment changes, the population shifts, but the diversity in beak size and shape is already there. The genetic information to make small or large beaks already exists in the finch DNA. You know, there's no known naturalistic mechanism that can produce brand new genetic information. Evolution's wrong. Plan your visit to our Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter in Northern Kentucky when you go to our website at AnswersRadio.com. Be equipped at AnswersRadio.com.
go through a lizard stage? This is Kent Ham, author, speaker and blogger on the Bible's reliability and authority. I was taught in school that as a baby develops in the mother's womb, the baby goes through stages that reflect its evolutionary past. And last year, a study claimed that human embryos go through a lizard stage. So this false idea is still around, but it was disproved a long time ago. It was based on fraudulent artwork, and yet it's still taught in many textbooks. We don't go through a lizard stage or any other evolutionary stage. Our DNA has unique instructions to build a human being. When we study a baby growing in the womb, we're looking at how it develops. We're not studying our evolutionary history. Evolution needs to be retired forever. There's so much more to discover when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to screw you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and a dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss that he found, though, he was tamed and flossed all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a strict hold on him, fighting for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly. Proportionate, everything.
Making it orbit around his glory subordinate He is the most excellent one Intrinsic infinite son Preeminent the name par excellence Prenom phenomenon He's beyond phenomenon You see the fiber of cosmology The abba of astronomy He potter we a pottery It's shocking Jesus died for me The father he adopted me And constantly provides for me Whether or not I got degrees You gotta see his odyssey From sovereignty and lottery To poverty and robbery To resurrected bodily Apocalyptic prophecy He's stopping all the mockery And scholarly snobbery That don't acknowledge him properly You ought to be on bended knee Before the preeminent It's awfully arrogant To reject him to your detriment Study the development From Old and New Testament You'll find a theme that's prevalent From age to age it's relevant Crisis on its center stage Forget religious sentiments The center on man But something less is what you're settling He is the most excellent Exercising benevolence And blessing a remnant With the benefits of his inheritance yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated That severed the relations between man and his maker And placed Christ on his costly cross And compensated his life, death, and resurrection Emancipated and gave us freedom from it all Freedom from the effects of the fall Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden And from the law So the saints stand and applaud His grace and glorious cause With hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God <laughs> Jesus, the eternal God. This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's word and the gospel. Today is what's known as Ascension Day. It's been 40 days since Easter, so on this day, we remember Christ's ascension into heaven. Many people think of Christ as the babe in the manger and the one who died on the cross and rose again, and that's true. But Christ is the eternal God. He existed in eternity past and into eternity future. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day that before Abraham was, I am. That was Jesus declaring he was the eternal God. Jesus is now in heaven, but someday he'll return and he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. The Bible tells us we should be ready for his return. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. I couldn't take 
take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say I know what the time is, but I ain't bet Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112 displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. But nowadays, I'm regenerated, born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ, using literary devices to spit it very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the raiders of the laws. While power records were choosing to carry G-Unit, I was on that revolutionary theme Music. The brothers from the Lou held it down as well But we noticed a big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the crossover Made us all sober years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions They want to reach the world by all means, keep pursuing it But tell me why they got it this the church while they doing it that's what i wanted to say but i ain't say it though but no more laying low i want them to play it slow and i ain't dissing them my prayers are the proof like boaz without ruth is unity without truth chh is like gorillas in the mist with no brotherly love it's like philly don't exist what's happening here it's a different atmosphere cats appear most concerned about a rap career brothers overseas being slain in the sand while we're vain in our plan taking fame and some fans and i ain't got time to philosophize satan got a plot device i'm seeing lots of guys apostatize on top of all that donald trump's the president it's all good though because jesus trump's the president so more than ever i'm trying to rep the lord who bled and we ain't never going to stop Word I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin, no riddle in it. Cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad, depraved, and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God addresses our depravity. The lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with the funding grace. And when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sins, the crepid depths, left the mess. No rest was left till Jesus put death to death. The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on debit. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffer, so welcome to the Still Jesus Project, yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. Is radiometric dating reliable? This is Ken Ham, CEO of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Radiometric dating is used to give dates of millions of years to various rock layers, but is it reliable? Well, it's based on a series of unprovable assumptions. And if any of those assumptions are wrong, we can't trust the results. And we have evidence that the assumptions are wrong. For example, 
We know that the rocks at Mount St. Helens were created after a volcanic eruption in the 1980s. But radiometric dating gives ages of three to 400,000 years. And rocks in Hawaii that are only 200 years old gave ages of six to 39 million years. Radiometric dating can't give accurate dates for rocks. We can't trust it. Get equipped with answers from God's Word when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and plan your visit to the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
attack on the end of a Ginsu. She graduated number one and had to give a speech. Uh-huh. What would she say? What would she teach? She knew about God and this was her chance. She could bust a move or be afraid to do the dance. She told the truth and everybody heard. She got brave because she understood. If you want to bear fruit, single 
I'll do my best. That was by Go Fish. And now I'm going to do this is from a clip from Wretches. And I get from YouTube page Wretches. And here it is. It's called To the Christian To Yellow. I've got a cow down on the farm. She gives milk without alarm. Is the one that got hit. What does that have to do with the price of tea in Texas on a Tuesday? A lot. It is only the proclamation of the word of God that can cause the dog to yelp, that can convict a sinner of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. It is only the word of God that can convert somebody Why is this so important? When you and I are sharing the truth of God's word, we need to remember the limitations of apologetics. No, we do not throw away our apologetics, but we remember that they do have limitations. We can use all of the arguments that we want, and we can. But we need to remember these arguments, these logics, these reasonings with an unconverted sinner, they have their limitations. They cannot cause the dog to yelp. Okay, I'm taking the illustration too far, but you get my point. Using apologetics, it can help somebody perhaps in their thinking to a limited degree, but it cannot convert anybody. It is only the word of God can do that. That is why you and I need to primarily be taking out the sword from its sheath and wielding it when we're trying to persuade somebody that Jesus Christ is Lord. Having said that, that does not mean there isn't a time and a place for apologetics, but we need to remember it has a time and a place 
How do we use these apologetical methods? I believe it is when somebody genuinely asks us to explain something. Think of it like this. You are in an argument with your spouse. One of you decides, I'm going to make an effort to reconcile. That can go down one of two ways. So, going to be a knucklehead? Huh? Going to keep acting like a dum-dum, or are we going to get this worked out? That is method number one. How does that tend to go? I would suggest to you, not so good. Method number two for reconciliation. Honey, I hate it when we argue. Can we please sit down and work through this so that we can reconcile? Um, I'm so sorry for anything that I said. Let's work this out. That tends to go better. And what does that have to do with the price of tea in Texas on a Thursday? When somebody confronts you with a... Ah, with the old arguments, yeah, what about the Crusades? What about what the people do inside of the church that's really, they take everybody's money, and what about those prosperity preachers? Chances are it's going to go just like method number one in your reconciliation efforts with your spouse. If somebody is asking about the existence of God or they're toting out evolution and they're doing it in a snarky kind of way, like, and all they want to do is argue, Apologetics, it is not going to do much. That requires the preaching of the word of God. But if somebody genuinely asks, okay, I'm kind of confused about this. Throughout high school, I, I was just taught that we evolved from goo, and, and you're telling me that God created us, and you're even telling me that he didn't do it that long ago? I mean, that's just not what I was taught then you can bring out these defenses for the faith. Then you can use apologetics argument when the individual sincerely desires to know. Can you always know the difference? It can sometimes be difficult because even a tender tone can betray the heart that is just wanting to argue. Use discernment as best you can to determine, does this person genuinely want to know an argument for the existence of God, or does this person just want to argue? Here's a related question. How long do you keep going with somebody? If they're just, they're just debating and they're just arguing, once again, you need to make that decision. There are no perfect rules for that. You need to just be wise. I think there's a time to skedaddle that is a definitive rule. If somebody is coming at you to hurt you, they, they want to attack you physically, you don't have to stay engaged with that sort of witness encounter, but that's the only definitive rule that I can think of. As long as somebody is willing to engage with you and you think that there's any forward progress at all, or at least the person is just trying to get things sorted out, we can stay engaged with them, keep going with them, try to explain things to them, continue to preach the word of God to them, knowing that God might take some time to work through an awful lot of stones in this person's particular field before the seed of the word of God can be planted. You can be patient with those people. Should you determine, however, at some point, you know, this is, I've just over and over and over again with this, use your best judgment. You might consider cutting your losses, if you will, at that time, knowing that God will use the work that you've done as he sees bits. Good evening, my fellow totally depraved Americans. The last part. Advertising Richie. 
just toggling it good at one job, which is so helpful. Um, that's a that's from the Wretched YouTube page, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, and they have a website at wretched.org, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G. So check them out if you want to donate to the good ministry. Um, let's see, next I'm going to do the thing I'm free, kicking it old school. We kick 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 it old school. Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes winds up in a pocket. piece of bread. We act as if the holy word of God is all but dead. All we need to know is right there on the pages. Why are we obsessed with who the guy on stage is? It's the hottest dance. Get the latest buzzy. You're gonna find out Jesus wasn't very fuzzy, was he? You can take the news up. You can keep the flow. The Bible is our tool and we're here to kick it all Yeah. 
I'm writing this to you I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just a holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the Not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan, I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same, immutable, About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still, you pursue relentlessly. At times, I wonder how this can be. Surely, it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So, even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever, this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same, you will never change, you will never change, immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change.
That's Shylin with Immutable. And if you want to find out more about him, go to com. L-A-M-P, M-O-D-E dot C-O-M. That's his record label. Shylin, so S-H-A-I-N-L-I-N-E. And now, got a place on the front. This is from Living Wars. Do you think you're a good person? It's not for me to say. 
Well, uh, well, we can find out. How many lies have you told in your life? Too many to count. Ever stolen something? Yes. So you're a lying thief? Yes. So now you can say you're not a good person. But is that me? Is that all of me, though, at the same time, you know? like well, we'll find out. Is everybody's contradictions, too, right? So I am a liar, but I'm a, also an honest person. I'm a thief, but I'm not also a thief, you know, like on the same breath, you know? Yeah, let's go a little deeper. Have you ever used God's name in vain? For sake or something, would that be an example? Yes. Not giving it to you, honor. Um, Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? With lust? Well, yeah, I guess say yes. So... Jeff, I'm not judging you. You've just told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterate heart. Yes. You have to face God on Judgment Day. If he judges you by the Ten Commandments, we'll look at four of them. Are you going to be innocent or guilty? Depends on God's view. I can't speak for God. Well, if, He said that that'll be his decision, right? This is his decision. Yeah. He says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. No thief, no adulterer, no blasphemer, no fornicator will inherit God's kingdom. So you're in big trouble, huh? Yeah, I am, but also God does, says he, we shouldn't eat shellfish, right? And I'm a big seafood lover. I love shrimp, you know? I'm not supposed to wear cotton, but the, the clothes on my body are. I'm not supposed to have tattoos, but I also do have. Back up. Let's back up. Yeah. <laughs> you're, talking about ceremonial and, uh, you're talking about the ceremonial law of the Hebrews from 3,000 years ago. God told them not to eat shellfish because they're bottom feeders. They, they eat trash off the bottom, and he's just saying this is how you stay healthy. It's got nothing to do with morality or earning yeah. eternal life. And when it comes to mixing cotton and wool, if you do that nowadays, you're going to sweat. Yeah. And he was saying, just use cotton or wool, but don't mix them because it's going to make you sweat. Mm -hmm. So they were just, they've got nothing to do with morality. Yeah. And the other thing before you were saying, you've lied and stolen, but that's not all you. Yeah. There's some good sides to you. Yeah. But you try that in a court of law. Judge, I robbed the bank, shot the guard, but I do good for people. He's yeah. going to say, so what? The judge will only judge you by your crimes and not by your good works. Yeah. Can you see that? And it's exactly the same with God. It doesn't matter how many good works we've done. He'll only judge us on the lying, stealing, fornicating, yeah. uh, committing adultery, so and blessing. God not forgive them? That's brought us to the point, yeah. okay? This is the point that God has provided a parachute before the jump. He provided a savior. The Bible says God was manifest in the flesh. And the reason he did that was to provide a sacrifice on the cross. We broke God's law, the Ten Commandments. Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on that cross. He cried out, it is finished, just before he died. In other words, the debt has been paid. Jeff, if you're in court and someone pays the fine, even though you're guilty, the judge can legally let you go. He can say, Jeff's guilty, but someone's paid his fine, he's out of here. And he can do that, which is right and just and legal, and at the same time give you mercy because the fine was paid by another. Yeah. And God can extend mercy towards you, forgive your sins, grant you everlasting life as a free gift, all because of what Jesus did on the cross through his death and resurrection. What you have to do is repent and trust in him. It's like turn to the parachute and put it on. Put your faith in it. Mm -hmm. And then God says, I'll not only cause you to overcome your fear of death, but overcome the power of death. Does that make sense? Yes. I got to understand, yes. Um, do you know what death is, according yeah, to the Bible? Yeah. It's wages. There's a famous Bible verse, the wages of sin is death. It's what we earn. God has given us capital punishment. Sin is so serious, it deserves the death sentence. It's like a judge in a court of law gives a heinous criminal who's raped three girls and cut their throats. As you've earned this, you're getting the death sentence. This is your wages. This is where you're going to get paid. And we get paid by God for our sins and death. But he's rich in mercy. And the gift of God is eternal life because he doesn't want us to end up in hell. Now you know about the parachute. Know about faith. And so please think about it. You don't realize this, but I love you. I care about you. And I want to see you in heaven, not in hell. So um, do you have a Bible at home? Uh, no, I do not. Phone? Yes, I do. 
silly question nowadays, isn't it? But you've got 20,000 apps for the Bible on your phone, so you're going to give this a serious thought? Yes, I will. That was from Levy Waters, says college student with tons of objections to Christianity. So check that out. And I'm going to play this. Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page at Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you'd like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth. The letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. That's all I got for the show. Thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. And um, we have a Patreon page you can send at Truth Be Told Radio. I mean, it's patreon.com slash Truth Be Told Radio. And that's all I got. Bye for now. I'm going to leave you with the answer, friends, and the VR Billy.